Okay, well, we'll go ahead and get uh, started. Let me open with prayer, and uh, then we'll get going. God, thank you for the stage you've given us. Thank you for this time we have together to go into your word and to um, search, uh, search you and seek you out. And uh, ask that you would help us as we uh, begin the study on the fear of the Lord, that you'd help us to have a better understanding of it, that you help us to grasp what it means, and that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start a, uh, this will be a five-week, <clears throat> excuse me, series on the fear of the Lord. And this is a phrase that you see over and over and over again in Scripture. Now, you see it a lot in Proverbs, but you also see it all over the Scripture. And so oftentimes it can be hard when I see this phrase, for me anyways, I find it hard to, to understand exactly what it means. I ask myself, okay, what does this mean? Because it's never really clearly defined. And so it can be hard to have a working definition of what this phrase means. But clearly it's a characteristic that Christians must possess if they desire to honor the Lord and to live for him. And so this is what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, five weeks, uh, including tonight. So four more after this one. The Bible mentions the fear of God about a hundred times and it never gives a clear definition you see many of those instances in the book of Proverbs. So I challenge you, I've done, I've done this, but go through Proverbs and mark every time you see that phrase, um, the fear of the Lord. And it's all throughout uh, the book of Proverbs. Right out of the gate in Proverbs 1.7, it reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so tonight we will attempt, I'll say attempt, um, to define the fear of the Lord and see, and we'll also see it in the person of Christ. So that's kind of our goal tonight is to define it, and we're going to see it in Christ as well. So the next four weeks, this is just, kind of, just so you know kind of where we'll be going. Uh, next week, we will look at the reasons to fear God, and then the week after that, the characteristics of the fear of God. Then the third week after this one is the benefits of fearing of the fear of God. And finally, the last one is obtaining. How do we attain, obtain the fear of the Lord. And so that's where we'll be going over the next five weeks. Um, so we'll start, just right out, right, just go ahead and start with uh, defining what the fear of God is. And so you have a handout, and all these things are on the handout, so there are no blanks to fill out, none of those things. So you can just take it, and you can have it with you uh, if you want to. But we'll go through these that are on here tonight. So we'll start by, as we define the fear of God, what it's not. That's what we'll start, what it is not. The fear of God is not an Old Testament virtue that's done away by the love of God revealed in the New Testament. It's not something that was just an Old Testament thing that's been done away with. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And by the way, we're going to be flipping around a lot in the Bible tonight. So I hope you have your Bible with you. We're going to be going all over the place. Can't find Deuteronomy. I know it's in here somewhere. There we go. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verses 12 through 13. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his way, all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I com am commanding you today for your good. As we see 
Uh, it's in the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord is, is there and that we are commanded to fear the Lord in the Old Testament. But also hold, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. <clears throat> it says, So the church throughout all Judea and, Gal and, all, and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, it being the church. It was growing, it was multiplying. What were these people doing? They were walking in the fear of the Lord. And so they knew that this is what they were to be doing. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Like I said, we have a lot of verses we're going to be looking at tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. <clears throat> it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, this is Paul speaking, he says, We persuade others. But what are we, what are we, hang on, that changed pages there on me. We persuade others, but what we are is, is known to God, and I hope it is also known also to your conscience. And so Paul is speaking of that they are compelled by the love of God to present the gospel, to present the gospel, and he's, he's, he's saying that we are walking in the fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we are obeying. And so that is one of the signs of, of fearing the Lord is our obedience. And so he says, in our obedience, we are fearing the Lord. So you can clearly see that it's in the Old Testament. It's, a whole, it's more in the Old Testament than the New, but it's also in both. And so it's not an Old Testament virtue that's been done away with. Next thing, it's not, the fear of God is not the fear a slave feels for its master. Uh, go to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter four, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so he says that fear has to do with punishment. So a, a, maybe a slave would be afraid of their owner that they would be punished or unfair, whether it be fairly or unfairly. But he says fear, in that sense, that's not the fear of the Lord. It's not that kind of fear of being afraid, like a slave would feel against his master. Uh, the fear of God is, is, not a is not the terror you would feel in a dark alley at 3 a.m. where there's no moon, there's no stars, and you're walking through a dark alley in a dangerous place. Uh, that terror, it's not that. This is not what it's talking about. And also, it does not motivate us to run from God. Because a lot of times when we're living in sin, maybe we sin, what, do we typically, what is our natural response oftentimes? To withdraw. Maybe we don't want to be around God's people. We don't want to be in the church. We don't want to read the Bible. We don't want to pray. And so we kind of run from God. But this is not what the fear of the Lord is referring to. And so we started with what it's not. So it does not motivate us to run from God. The fear of God is, and we'll start with that one, and motivation to run to God because we know that he's our loving heavenly father. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
verses 15 through 17. It says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Here it says that God is our father. Again, this is, he, this is speaking to Christians, by the way, that God is your father. And he's our loving heavenly father who gave his son to die for us so we can go to him. We run to him, not away from him. So the fear of God, is a, that is our motivation to run to God rather than running away from him. Second thing that the fear of God is, it's a fruit of faith. Fruit of faith, meaning that it's something that is produced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's something that we can't, we don't, a non-Christian um, does not have the fear of God. They don't have the fear of the Lord. They don't understand the fear of the Lord. Now, if they only knew that God is also the judge and one day that there will be a terror, an actual terror, a fear, one day in judgment, but he, that's not what he's speaking about here. Not speaking about that here. It is something that is produced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We fear God because we really believe that he is exhaustively sovereign and he controls every detail of our lives and that we are in his hands. And so everything in our life, every detail, God is in control of. The thing from the smallest things to the biggest things, God is in control of all of these things. And so he's exhaustively sovereign. And so this is, we can fear him. And again, this will make, hopefully make more sense as we continue forward. Next thing is it's a synonym for humility. Synonym for humility. And a definition of humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. So as a, as a human, as a, what do we typically do? Think low of ourselves or begin to think a little highly of ourselves? Right. It's natural for us to think a little more highly than we should. We think the world revolves around us. Um, particularly kids, they think they don't realize there's nothing else going on around the world. The world revolves around who? Me. Well, that is not <laughs> that is not humility. That is not um, that is not fearing the Lord. Go to Proverbs chapter three, and it's easy to fall into that, to where we begin to think everything is about us, and that I am the center of the universe. That is not humility, and humility is a big part of fearing the Lord. Proverbs 3, verse 7. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes, thinking more highly of ourselves than we really are, thinking we're more important uh, than, we, than we should. Um, ultimately, he's talking about turning away from evil. If we're not careful, we begin to think that we know what's best for us, and we don't. Uh, God does. Uh, Proverbs 15. Chapter 15, verse 33. says, The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So if we desire to be honored by God, humility comes first. 
We must humble ourselves before him, not think more highly of ourselves uh, than we are. And so I like that definition of humility as a modest or low view of one's own importance. We all have great value before God. We We are created in God's image, but we have to remember who we are and who God is. And in comparison to God, he is infinite and we are not. We are his servants. We are his creations. He is our God. And so we have to keep these things in balance uh, here. And I like this definition of what the fear of God is. It's a man or woman who takes God very seriously. What does it mean to take God seriously? That means that when we read God's word, we say that this is the ultimate authority. When God says to do something, we do it. When, when God says something or makes a promise, we believe it. And we act, we act in faith upon it. And so it's a man or woman who takes God very seriously. Take King David, for instance. He committed adultery and murder because he didn't take God seriously. Did he know those things were wrong? Yes. But in, those, in that moment, now he's a man after God's own heart, right? Of course, he repented of his sin, and, and he, uh, when he did sin, he would confess, and he was restored. But in that moment, and in those moments in our lives as well, he did not take God and his word very seriously. Um, but again, he did confess and all those things, and he was restored in right relationship with God. But a man or woman who takes God very seriously, this is part of uh, being the fear of God. And finally, the fear of God, it's an awe and respect. It's an awe, a respect, a reverence, and recognition of who God is. And who is God? He's God Almighty. He's God Almighty. And so when we pray, even, who are we we, uh, praying to? God Almighty. Is he our Father who loves us? Yes. Uh, Is he the God who provides for us and knows everything about us? Yes. Is he the God who has every uh, detail of our lives in his hands and his control of those things? Yes. But he's also, at the same time, he's God Almighty. And we need to remember that. And when we come before him and stand before him, we must do so with reverence and awe and respect, recognizing who he is and then who we are. We have to recognize who we are uh, and who he is. So in Hebrew, the word usually refers to the fear of God. It's usually doing, it usually refers to it in a positive quality. So we're going to look at all these, uh, several of these positive qualities here. The first thing we see is that the fear of uh, this fear uh, acknowledges God's good intentions. Exodus 20, 20. Moses said, and this is, I'm quoting the verse here. It says, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. What was God's intention for Israel? What was his intention? Is that they would be a holy people who are set apart and who would be a blessing to all nations. And so God's intention, that was his intention for Israel. And when they sinned, that relationship with God was broken. There was no harmony there. And, of course, God would judge them. (laughs) Of course, if you look throughout Israel's history, what'd they do? They would sin. They'd be judged. um, They would repent and restored. And they'd do it all over again. Over and over and over again. But God had intentions that they would be a holy people 
separated for his service, for his service and a blessing to all nations. So we have to trust this fear acknowledges that God has good intentions, that God's intentions for us are good, and that he uses things in our lives for good things, even things that may be painful or things that we wouldn't want for ourselves, things we wouldn't want for our family. God can use those things uh, for, good, for good. And we know that, uh, of course, Romans 8, 28, um, if you continue on, it says that we've been conformed, we, that it's God's will for our life that we be conformed to the image of his son. So he can use all things together for good. Why? That we may be conformed to the image of his son. So God is always working in our lives. He's always, he's always uh, trying to make us and grow us to be more like Jesus Christ. So this fear acknowledges God's good intentions. Next thing is that it, mo- it, it motivates and even delight, delighted the Messiah. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, we're going to look at this one here in just a minute. But you see that the Messiah would be empowered uh, to have the fear of the Lord, and also he delighted in it. Do you take delight in the fear of the Lord? Not just a duty, not just something, oh, I have to do this, but do you delight in worshiping and reverencing and obeying God? And again, we'll look at that here in just a few minutes. Next thing is the fear of God is produced by God's word. Go to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm 119, verses 33, verse 33. It says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in a path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness gives me life. So we see that fear is produced by God's word. It produces good in us. It's for our good. A lot of times we, we, we read scripture, we're like, man, God don't want me to have any fun. That's what I, of course, but God knows what's best for us. And so kind of like with your own kids, when you had boundaries and rules and things like that, why did you set those? Well, sometimes it's a convenience for us. It's like, yeah, you're not doing that because I really don't want to be part of this. But uh, oftentimes those rules and things you set up, they're for their good. It's for their good. And God is the same way. He is our loving Heavenly Father, we have to remember, who wants what's best for us. And so this fear is produced by God's word, it speaks to us and it guides and directs us. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. If we want to develop a fear of the Lord, it's going to begin in God's word. Proverbs chapter 2. The first five verses. <clears throat> it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my command- commandments with you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline in your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, 
and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 5 says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So what does it say before that? We'll look at these just for a minute. It says, if you receive my words. So when we read God's word or you hear it preached, are you re- you're receiving God's word, what are you going to do with it? Well, so it says, you, if, you, if you receive my words. So we have a couple things we can do. We either you take them and, and think about them and try to put them into practice, or we can just put it to the side. So it says, if you receive my words, next thing says, treasure up my commandments within you. Do you see them, do you see God's word as treasure? Do you see it as precious? Do you see it as highly valuable? It says, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, that we're willing to listen, not just hear, but listen. And there's a difference. I hear a lot of things in my home, but I don't listen real good sometimes. We have to listen. We have to give, give our atten- be, uh, have attentive ears, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. And it says, yes, if you call out for insight, that we ask for it, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it as silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So you're not just going to one day wake up and, and understand this concept of the fear of the Lord. What does it say we have to do? Treasure it, seek it, uh, go after it, listen, incline our heart to understanding, call out, ask God for it, raise your voice for understanding, seek for it as silver, search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So how bad do you want to fear the Lord? Because any of us in here can do that if we will seek for it, if we will search it out, and we will call out and see it, as value for, for what it is as valuable. And so the fear of the Lord is produced by God's word. And so how do we seek the Lord? In his word. So if you want to understand the fear of the Lord, it's going to require spending time in seeking the word. Next thing about this fear, this fear of the Lord, it makes a person perceptive to wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 1.7, we read, we'll read that again. We read that earlier. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it says the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of knowledge. It's where it starts. It's where it starts. Go to Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord... It's the beginning of wisdom. So chapter 1 says it's the beginning of knowledge. Uh, Verse 10 here, chapter 9, verse 10 says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So wisdom is more than just knowledge. Wisdom is the skill of putting it into practice. So you can know a lot of things and not be very wise. Wisdom is taking what you know, taking God's word and what you know, and it's the skill of putting it into practice. And so it goes from just knowledge, it's the beginning. Uh, is, is the beginning of wisdom is, um, I'm getting these two verses, they're very similar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
And then chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So knowledge and wisdom, where do those come from? From God's word. That's where it starts. The fear of the Lord begins in God's word, and it makes a person perceptive to wisdom and knowledge. It helps them understand God's word. Again, I said this a second ago, but this fear is identified with wisdom, which is the skill of right living. Go to Job chapter 28. Didn't know you were going to do Bible drill today, did you? Job 28, verse 28. It says, and he, said to, and he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So what is wisdom? It says, again, it says the fear of the Lord is wisdom. It is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Back to Proverbs 15. Verse 33. It says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. We read that a minute ago. But the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And so wisdom is, is, is necessary for fear of the Lord. We also see uh, the fear of the Lord may be lost by despair of one's own situation. We won't read this one, but in Job 6.14, you can read, uh, of course, Job went through tremendous suffering. He went through more suffering than any of us in here can comprehend, uh, the things that he went through. And uh, at times, of course, he remained faithful, but at times he struggled, as would we. He had a hard time. And uh, also, so the... Uh, The fear of the Lord may be lost uh, by despair of one's own situation, also because of envy of sinners, which Proverbs 23, since we're in Proverbs, go to uh, chapter 23. I know this is a lot of verses, just a lot of information, but hopefully when we leave tonight, we'll have a a better understanding of what the fear of the Lord uh, is. Uh, Proverbs 23, verse 17. It says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. It says, let not your heart envy sinners. So when you look around the world and you see, you see what's going on in the world, and oftentimes David would, ask, uh, David would ask this question. It says, why do the wicked seem like they're doing so well? Why do the evil seem like they have no problems and we're suffering and we're struggling? It says, don't envy sinners. It says, don't, don't, don't let your heart do this. Uh, we all are tempted to do that. But it says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue. You continue in the fear of the Lord all day. You continue in, in, in gaining more wisdom, gaining more understanding, gaining more knowledge, continuing to seek the Lord. This is, how, this is what fear of the Lord means, that we are seeking him. We're see, he is the source of everything that we have. This fear gives confidence in God. This number seven of what this fear does. It gives confidence in God. Uh, we can go to Job chapter four. Job 
Job chapter 4, in verse 6. Job chapter 4, verse 6. Is not your fear of God your confidence in the integrity of your ways your hope? It says, is not your fear, uh, fear of God your confidence? Is that when we fear God, when we stand before him with respect, with honor, with awe, with reverence, and we recognize who he is and who we are, how can we not be confident in him? How can we not be confident in God Almighty? And this is kind of what he's getting at here, is that fear gives confidence in God. Uh, go back to Proverbs chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 26. It says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. It says, The fear of the Lord brings confidence, not in ourselves, but confidence in who? In God. That we can stand, we can, we can go through our life and have, no matter what's really going on, we can have a confidence in God. So those who fear the Lord have a confidence in God, uh, even when things are not going as planned or as they would hope. This fear also helps rulers and causes judges to act justly. Wouldn't that be nice? If we had rulers and judges who would act justly and do what's right. Uh, go to 2 Samuel chapter 23. And see, this, this is what happens if you have rulers who do this. If you have a ruler or a judge who, honor, who, who fears the Lord... Um, things, are, things are different. 2 Samuel, verse 20, or chapter 23, verse 3. says, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in their fear of God. A ruler who fears God will rule justly. They do right. They're going to do it right. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 19. So Samuel, just go a little further. Yeah, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then 1 Chronicles. We're in 2 Chronicles, though, so keep going past that. 2 Chronicles 19, <clears throat> verse 9. It says, and he charged them. This is when Jehoshaphat was reforming the temple and reforming of the nation, and he stands before the people. In Second Chronicles 19, verse 9, it says, and he, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness, and with all your whole heart. Whenever a case comes before you from brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed, law, or commandment, statutes, or rules, you shall warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you or your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will, and you will not in, uh, incur guilt. So he goes on, and he's talking about this. But what does he charge them to do? He charged them, you shall go and, and rule and judge between people, judge between uh, those who come before you in the fear of the Lord. When rulers fear the Lord, they act justly. They do what's right. And so there, this... The fear, the fear of the Lord helps rulers and causes judges to act justly. 
Another thing that this fear does, the fear of the Lord, it results in good sleep. You can rest. You can rest. You can lay your head down at night because you have a confidence in God, knowing that he's in control of what's going on, and you can rest in him. Proverbs 19. Something we don't really think about is that when we have a confidence in God, that helps us rest. We're not having to worry about trying to fix all the problems in the world, or trying to fix what's going on in our life, fix what's going on in our family's lives, fix them, fix this, fix that. Worry, worry, worry. We can't sleep. Well, we can rest in God and we have a confidence in him. So Proverbs 19, verse 23. says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rest satisfied and he will not be visited by harm so a fear of the lord this confidence in the lord allows us to rest in him knowing that he's in control of every little detail of life every little detail of the world that god knows and he's in control of do we understand it all no do we understand why things happen no and we're not promised that we will understand Things happen in life, and we're never promised that we will understand why. One day, we will. But we, we're not promised to understand it even on this side of heaven. But one day, we will. And so we, these, we leave the results up to God. Uh, we have confidence in him, and we can rest in that fact. And finally, this fear, this fear of the Lord, results in humility, leads to riches, honor, and life. Go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 4, says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord. So it's, it's linking those two together, humility and fear of the Lord. It says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And when it says life, it's, we're talking about abundant life. Life as God intended it leads to riches and honor and life, humility and fear of the Lord. It results in those things. And so I hope this kind of helped with what the fear of the Lord is. That's why I gave you the handout so you can go back and look at those. Um, because it's not like a clear cut, here you go, here's the definition. But it, it, involves, it involves a lot of different things. But ultimately what it involves is this, this honor, this reverence, respect of God, and that we're seeking him. It's a confidence in God that he can do what he's promised he's going to do. Resting in that fact, seeking him over and over and over every day. This is how we fear the Lord. So we see these qualities. And I'm going to move, move to a different, a different topic here for a second. But we see these qualities in Christ. And so if you... Uh, Go ahead, I guess you're in the Old Testament still, but go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah has some of the best and most clear prophecies of the Christ, of the Messiah who would come. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We see these qualities in Christ. Um, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, prophesied of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, he, and he was the one who fulfilled it at his first coming. And he will fulfill it again in the future uh, at a second coming. Therefore, Christ is to be feared. And so, and when I say feared, it's what we've, all the stuff we've been talking about. 
But Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. So there shall come forth, <clears throat> come forth a root from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So when Christ comes again, he's not coming as a humble servant. When he comes again, he's coming as a mighty warrior. He is coming as a, as a king who is going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom. And he is going to rule and he's going to reign in righteousness and justice. That is what we have to look forward to. That is what is coming. And so the first time he came, and again, this is kind of, when you read a lot of these prophecies in Isaiah, it's talking about the first coming of Christ, but it's also talking about, it's talking about both. And so this already, Christ came the first time, but he's also coming again. And when he comes again, if you continue to read in chapter 11, it's talking about this kingdom that he will establish, that he will set up. And so we're, talk, so we're going to look at what this means and what it looks like, what it's talking about here. Um, in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord, it starts off, the spirit of the Lord will rest on the Messiah. And so there's some results, and these are on your handout as well, the results of this resting upon him. First thing it says, the first thing, well, let's talk about this resting, first of all. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Um, the Holy Spirit will empower him uh, for his work. Uh, go to Matthew, hold your place there, go to Matthew chapter 3. And we see this fulfilled at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3. So Isaiah prophesied that the Spirit, the spirit would rest on him. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to, opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Who is all spoken of there? God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. We have one God, three different persons who are all God and their personality all at the same time. We, can't, we cannot grasp that. Anybody who says, yeah, I can explain the Trinity to you, uh, they can't. This is a mystery that we can't understand. But we see here in this instance, God the Father, God the Son. So the Son is being baptized, the Spirit comes down and, and rests upon him, and then a voice from heaven comes, says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so the spirit coming down and resting upon him, uh, we see that uh, this, this event marked Jesus, uh, marked Jesus as the prophesied one to come. It says, this is the one. He is the one. Uh, this marked the beginning of his public ministry. Immediately after that, he went into the desert, was tempted by Satan, and then he came out and his public ministry began after he was baptized and we saw this happen. So this, this event 
happened. The Spirit came down and rested upon him. And so this whole, the Holy Spirit would empower him for his work. And again, uh, we'll look at some characteristics of what this, what this means. But the, what, what are the results of the Spirit resting upon him? The first of all is we see the Spirit, he has a Spirit-powered wisdom. Is that he is empowered by the Spirit with great wisdom. You can go back to chapter 9 of Isaiah, and it talks about Christ coming. It talks about what he will be called. Um, this is, in my note, is not my notes, but Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You hear these verses at Christmas time, <laughs> but uh, we can look at that just for a second. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts uh, will do this. And so you're going to see some of the same characteristics, this wisdom. The spirit resting upon him empowers is spirit-empowered wisdom. He would have spirit-empowered understanding. Spirit-empowered uh, counsel. Spirit-empowered might. Spirit-empowered knowledge. Somehow, because Jesus was fully God, but the spirit of God rested upon I can't explain this. I, I, I can't, my mind, I cannot wrap my mind around how, how big and enormous God is. Somehow, the Spirit empowered him to do these things. The Spirit empowered, he had Spirit-empowered knowledge and Spirit-empowered fear of the Lord. So the Messiah would have a fear of the Lord. And by the way, he took delight in it. He delighted in it. And so this coming king will be endowed. And so he came, he's also coming again. This coming king will be endowed with the spirit of the Lord who will provide wisdom, ability, and allegiance to God that are necessary to accomplish a challenging task. These attributes of the Holy Spirit would characterize, they did characterize the Messiah and they will do it again when he comes again. And he comes and he sets up his kingdom and he rules it and reigns it with righteousness and justice and what a wonderful thing that is when we look around our world today. Righteousness and justice when Jesus reigns as king. He is characterized by the fear of the Lord and he takes delight in it. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Let's kind of wrap this up here. To fear God is to respond to him, so kind of wrapping this up here, in awe, in trust, in obedience, in worship. How do you see God? How big, I guess you could say, like you used to ask kids, baby, how big is your God? Do you reverence him? Do you stand in awe of him? Do you trust him? Do you obey him? And are you worshiping? We have to be careful that worship does not happen here on Sundays and Wednesdays. It happens here. But worship is something that you do every day of your life. I remember a guy in college one time going, oh, can't wait to go to church on Sunday to worship. Going, why aren't you worshiping now? That's, worship is a lifestyle. And when we come together 
corporately we worship, hopefully we're doing what we've been doing throughout the whole week together. Are you worshiping God? Are you obeying him? Are you trusting him? Are you standing in awe of him in your everyday life? This is what it means to fear the Lord. Again, all three persons of the Trinity are alluded to in verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 11. God, one God, three persons, all at the same time, is far beyond our limited comprehension. The magnitude of God is incomprehensible. We can't explain it. Our minds can't understand it. The, the magnitude of God. We can't. So anybody who says they can, they can't. Our minds are not, our minds are limited. Our comprehension is limited. God is not limited. He is infinite. And because of that, he is to be feared. He is to be feared. The Messiah constantly seeks, when Christ came, constantly seeks to do what the Father wanted him to do. And those who fear the Lord will do the same. Those who fear the Lord will seek to please God and, and do what he want, and will seek to do what he wants them to do. And so if Jesus, the perfect Son of God, delighted in the fear of God, so should we. So when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to obeying, when it comes to worshiping, when it comes to reverencing him, do you see it as, well, I have to because I'm a Christian? Or do you want to? Are you motivated that the fact that you have a heavenly father who loves you, who sent a son to die for you, and who, uh, and who wants to be in this relationship with you, has everything, everything in your life, every detail is in his control. And because of that, you love him and you desire to serve him. Or is it a, uh, I'm duty bound to do this. So what's your motivation? Do you delight in fearing the Lord? The fear of God grows when we marinate it in the knowledge of God's holiness, God's justice, and God's righteousness. It grows when we begin to think about it, when we begin to study it, when we begin to seek it. So if you want to understand the fear of the Lord, it's going to require some effort. It's going to require some digging. It's going to require some thinking. It's going to require spending time in prayer. It's going to spend some, you have to spend time to do this and think about this and, and, and it will begin to grow in your heart. See, the unbeliever, they fear God like a slave fears his master and well, they should. An unbeliever doesn't know they need to fear the Lord, first of all. But if they did, it would be in, they, in the terror sense because God is the judge. God is the righteous judge who always does what's right and doesn't make mistakes. So an unbeliever, they fear God like a slave fears his master. This is not so with a Christian. The Christian saturates himself in the conviction that God is their father. He is infinitely loving, gracious, and merciful. And because of that, we seek to obey. We seek to serve. We can stand in awe, and stand in awe of him saying, why would you even love me? Why would you, why would you die, send your son to die for a sinner like me. We can stand in awe of him and of course of his infinite power. And, all, and he, is this, he is this almighty God, creator of all things, yet he knows us and he loves us and he's gracious to us and he's merciful to us. This is the God we serve. This is the God that we are to fear. 
And I'm going to end with this quote by a guy named Ed Welch. He wrote a book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. It says, the fear, the fear of the Lord means reverent submission that leads to obedience and is interchangeable with worship, rely on, trust, and hope in. Like terror, it includes a knowledge of our sinfulness and God's moral purity, and it includes a clear-eyed knowledge of God's justice and his anger against sin. But this worship fear also knows God's great forgiveness, mercy, and love. And hopefully everybody in here tonight has experienced that. God's gracious, his graciousness, his forgiveness, his mercy, and his love. And as Christians, you've experienced that. So that's our motivation. Our motivation to trust, to revere, to obey, to worship. Not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, not because we decided we we're going to do it one day, but because God initiated that toward us. And because of that, we can fear the Lord. So I hope, I know this is a lot of verses, um, we, a lot of uh, information, um, but hopefully this helps uh, define a little bit the fear of the Lord. Um, but ultimately, if you want to understand the fear of the Lord, it's going to require you to seek God. The more you seek God, the more you will know of him, the more you will love him, the more you'll stand in awe of him, and the more you'll obey him, the more you'll worship him, the more you'll fear him. It's, it's all based on how much do you seek the Lord? Are you willing to go and do it? Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we see the phrase, the fear of the Lord, all throughout scripture. I pray that you'd help us to have an understanding of it of what it means. I pray, God, that we'd be people who honor you, who revere you, who respect you. God, people who um, trust you, who obey you, who worship you. I pray that our lifestyles would be characterized by fear of the Lord, which is those things. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to recognize and remember that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Not because we deserve it, not because we could earn it, May that be our motive to serve you and to seek you as because we want to know the God who loves us. We want to know our Heavenly Father, and so we, may that be our motivation to seek you and to know you more. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to us as we do that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.